Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm Ellen Parson, Editor-in-Chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with three top executives from electrical contracting firms that are featured in our 2021 Top 50 Electrical Contractors Special Report, which will be coming out soon in our September print issue. They're here today to talk with us about important issues like how leading electrical contracting firms are navigating the pandemic, what new revenue streams have emerged, how they position their companies for growth once the recovery is in full swing, and what type of modifications they've made to stay competitive. ECNM On Air is one of the many new benefits available to our members only portal, which offers exclusive member benefits and premium content that's hand selected by our editorial team. If you're interested in finding out more, you can register on our website, ecmweb.com, in the drop-down menu under Premium Content. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please check our website for the links mentioned in this podcast. You can find it in the Premium Content area. I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves and their firms briefly today before we jump right into the questions. So we have Bob Graham, FSG, Corey Borkhart, Fisk Electric, and Stephen Stone, Archkey Solutions. So Bob, would you like to begin? Sure. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> My name is Bob Graham, and I'm with FSG. I'm Chief Business Development Officer. I've been with FSG since <clears throat> basically the inception, 36 years. Um, we're a little bit older than that. And although FSG is what we think is a dominant player in the electrical construction space, we're, we're very uh, diversified. We operate in other uh, areas as well, but we're excited to be here today. Corey? Um, Corey Borkhart with Fiscal Electric Company. We're based in Houston, Texas, uh, with operations spanning from mainly in the southern United States, from Florida to, to California. And we, our primary space is infrastructure and uh, heavy commercial and industrial markets. Stephen? Good morning. Thanks, thanks, Ellen. Uh, thanks, everybody. My name is Steve Stone. Uh, I'm Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for ArchKey Solutions, and I'm also president of one of our uh, construction companies, Sachs Electric, both based here in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, ArchKey Solutions is a national electrical and technologies contractor, and while we're made up of several specialty businesses, uh, we have you know really four cornerstone companies: Sachs Electric, Parsons Electric. Uh, Sprig Electric and Mona. And while some may think that sounds and feels a little bit like a roll-up, uh, we're truly one company uh, and we're built to really work together uh, to solve problems uh, for our clients. So happy to be here. Thanks. All right. Great. Thank you. Uh, so now that we know a little bit more about our guests, let's get started. Um, the first thing I'd like to talk about, first, I wanted to make a clarification for our listeners. Um, when we're talking about the top 50 survey, the 2021 top 50 survey and results. That is based on last year's numbers. So 2020, the full year of 2020 numbers is what we use for the 2021 results. So when we talk about the 2020 results, that would be based on 2019. So I didn't wanna have any uh, you know, confusion there. So as you know, every year ECNM puts out the annual top 50 electrical contractor survey and your firms have all been on this list for many years. Uh, this year, in fact, um, I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen with the pandemic and everything. Usually the results are a lot more predictable, um, you know, but as a collective group, uh, you all posted a combined revenue total. Uh, that's with all 50 companies 
for electrical and voice data video work uh, from last year, that's 3% higher than last year. So it went from 33.1 billion to 34.1 billion as that's every company in the list added up. So uh, does that surprise you at all, uh, given the impact of the 2020 pandemic on business? Uh, why, or no, why not? I admit, you know, it did, it, it kind of surprised me a little bit. So um, what do you all think of that? The fact that as a collective group, we are actually up for the 2020 numbers. I think for us, we did see a slowdown in, in several areas, but, you know, the pull through business, it was already on the books from 2019, it carried over. And also early 2020s, you know, kept kept the boat afloat, so to speak. Yeah, I, I would agree with Bob. I, I think that, you know, in our space, the backlogs tend to take a long time to burn. So, you know, unless projects or geographies were sure, shut down, and, and we did have that, we have a business in California, certainly more impacted than other parts of the country. But by and large, um, our projects continued to progress forward uh, into 2020. And throughout 2020, and, and, and frankly, we didn't see uh, all of our markets lag. So it, it didn't really surprise me. And I think there's also a, a thing that started to play uh, throughout 2020 and certainly is playing into 2021, and that's commodity inflation. So the, the cost of the materials that we're installing has started to really rise. And I think that's, that's also impacting, you know, people's financials, maybe, you know, same size work, but as the costs of goods sold go, goes up, obviously, so does the revenue. Yeah, and I think when you talk to contractors across country, you know, similar, we had similar results in that, you know, the, the long-term larger projects carried through and, you know, you had some challenges to man those um, at times during the pandemic. But when you talk to other contractors across the country, whether or not they've seen increases, a lot of it depends on the markets they're in. You know, if they're in some of those markets that were a little bit weaker, that struggled, more with the pandemic or geographies, that, that's where you've seen the downturn. But I think overall, kind of what, similar to what Steve said, is is the overall cost of the installed project one up, even if the actual man hours being spent decrease slightly. Okay, great, that makes sense. Um, that also kind of uh, ties into what I was gonna talk about next is the fact that some of these, you know, even though the numbers overall are up and you've explained briefly why some of that may be occurring, but then some of the results uh, were also, you know, definitely not as positive as in the past. For example, the number of firms characterizing their 2020 business climate as strong took a nosedive. I mean, typically that's always, you know, strong. Everybody always rates it strong. So this year it dropped from um, 83% last year to 37% this year. Um, so that's not not surprisingly, this is also the first time in years that any top 50 firms considered the climate as weak. So, um, you know, kind of elaborating what you started in the first question, can you give us uh, a snapshot of what your firm's climate was like, and then maybe talk a little bit more about how you expect that to change, or how, how do you think that's going to continue through 2021, and maybe even into 2022? Well, it's not surprising that the, the outlook would go down, it, you know, exactly what, like we said is, you didn't book as much backlog in 19 and 20 because of the pandemic. So that as you're burning your backlog up, there's a little bit of uncertainty. And then you add into it, you know, there's a lot of COVID uncertainty now, even though in, in some parts of the country, you feel like you're past it. We're really not. There's still a lot of uncertainty. And the supply chain disruptions are adding additional pressure um, on pricing 
it's it's challenging for owners to navigate. It's uh, challenging for EPCs to navigate and to try to secure projects without taking on the right risk level. So um, it's not surprising to see that. And I think the trend is going to continue through 2021. Interested to hear what, what the others have, have to say. But until we get past this uh, daily discussion about COVID and um, you know what it's doing to our workforce and what it's doing to our supply chain, until we get past that, I think we're going to see a lot of uncertainty in the market. I, I, I would echo Corey's comments. There are there's some real challenges, supply chain being a substantial challenge, uh, both cost of material and, and availability, and then, you know, how policy impacts, you know, workers on the front line and, and, and how projects are being affected by that. You know, probably the thing we saw and, and maybe what shaped people's outlook more than anything was was the amount of time it took for a project to go from in a pursuit phase to an award phase. So the customers extended the buying cycle substantially uh, throughout 2020. And, and, and so you know, maybe it was trepidation on, on committing to a project. They weren't canceling the project, but while they had time, they kept buying the project and, and continuing to, to run the cycles of best and final. And you know, that, that, that was hard uh, because if you, if you were really concerned about backlog, it, it put you in a position to potentially make bad decisions. We, we tended to uh, be conservative. Um, we were in a, an opportunistic, opportunistic position to be so. And, you know, I, I would say for, for our industry in general, if you don't have proactive business development, this, this really affected you because if it was a, if your model was really bidding projects as they come out and waiting for award, that's that buying cycle really extended. Uh, we were fortunate. I think our backlogs are healthy today, um, but it was really because of a proactive business development process um, and and trying to stave off the urgency to go after a project while the customer was really in a positive position to buy better. The key about stability within the markets that Corey mentioned is uh, what we've experienced. I mean, areas of the country like New York, we saw significant delays and challenges with the timelines on the project extending. Areas like Texas has been really almost literally unaffected. And I think FSG, like the other two gentlemen's organization, you know, we have offices all over the U.S. And, you know, it's really the, the stage with those relationships from business development side, how stable that operation is, is, is really contributed significantly to hanging on to the business. You know, that what this pandemic has shown us is the uh, additional difficulties of getting in new doors because people are, they're, they're not seeing visitors and, you know, having that relationship base across a number of different companies has, has benefited larger companies. I think smaller companies have we're starting to see a lot of impact to those much more negatively because of that fact. As far as the markets specifically go, um, I don't think it was a surprise that this year our uh, top markets were stayed the same, mission critical and healthcare. And then the some of the cooler markets were obviously hospitality and retail. So um, I was just interested in what strategic areas your firms were pursuing and did you change those at all? as a result of these challenges, or are you still working in the same uh, areas you always worked in? Yeah, I'll say that, you know, Bob mentioned the diversity of their business and, and we 
prided ourselves on the diversity of ours as well so that we can pivot to different markets uh, when when new markets are emerging or, or regressing. And, you know, we continue to see strength in mission critical. I think the, the group had, had shared that through the survey. And, you know, although each one of our clients build and digest at different paces, uh, the, the market overall continues to, to be a positive one. Healthcare is really re-emerging. Uh, we continue to see that, you know, on a monthly basis where projects that were just uh, on pause are now not only back on, but not back on with an aggressive pace. We see strength in, you know, automotive uh, driven by the renewal, by the, by the EV market um, and renewables as well. That we, you know, strangely, we thought we were going to see a major drop off in commercial office based on the, you know, the new norm for a lot of organizations. And, and we didn't, we haven't seen it. Um, we, we do continue to watch it. We kind of expect it, but we have some major uh, commercial customers that continue to build and they're building differently. And sometimes it's making the projects larger, uh, but they're not downsizing with, with the idea that workers continue to work from home. I think, you know, like us, I think they're seeing that there's cultural impacts when people are too far apart. And, and so there's a happy medium in there, but, but we expected to see a drop off. And one of our businesses in California is really a design build contractor for the commercial space. And so we worked hard to develop diversification plans, but they continue to stay strong. Wow, okay. Yeah, I, you know, the, the commercial market, you know, if, if we could figure that out and why, why the money continues to be spent and why the pro projects continue to go, we, we expected a major uh, tail off on that and we haven't seen it either, uh, especially in, in the Texas markets, um, very strong. Um, we're seeing very strong uh, project opportunities in the water, wastewater, markets in the south, um, airport infrastructure projects in the south, also big spends. And, you know, there, there's been some ups and downs in the in the large scale distribution center um, uh, work. But again, I think there's there's a lot of um, opportunities there. The, the pandemic has really, you know, put a, a light on the need for that, you know, click, buy, deliver model that companies went to during the pandemic and, and we're still seeing a lot of those projects um, in the heavily populated areas um, moving forward into next year and the, in the following year. So there's obviously a labor shortage in our industry. Everyone knows that. Um, so it's really not surprising, um, you know, the results of our survey this year, 75% said yes, they were having issues uh, hiring certain types of electrical professionals, but that was different from last year. I mean, obviously it depends on who is you know, filling out the survey, but last year that number was like in the 30% range. And so we were thinking, oh, maybe this is getting better. Maybe, uh, you know, they're not having so much trouble hiring people, but then uh, then this year it turned back around and was back at 75% saying that they were having, you know, difficulty filling these positions. Uh, so electrical, electrical foreman was the first most difficult position and that followed by electrician and journeyman. So are you all still seeing that or have you seen an improvement there? Um, what do you think uh, is going to be going on with that going forward? Well, I, I personally think we're going to be talking about the shortage of, of qualified manpower for the rest of my career. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it just it just seems like there there's not enough happening quick enough to recruit um, you know new talent into that industry. But um, and we we could we could talk all day on that. But you know what what I want to say is the guys that have been working through the pandemic that have dealt with all the COVID, uh, COVID protocols and all the, the changing work conditions, they're tired. 
I mean, they're really tired. Um, it's, it's hard to get guys to commit to work in a lot of overtime. It's hard to get guys to commit to going out of town at this point. Um, they're, they're really worn out. Um, we've also seen, you know, the BIM engineering people, you know, that, that market has become tight and very competitive as more companies have offered these guys opportunities to work from home or work remotely. It's really changed the landscape, uh, for the competition on those people. Uh-huh. more so in certain markets than others. But, um, you know, I think those shortages or those, the demand for those people is almost as equally as important as the, you know, the field resources that, that we're facing. That's a great point. And then you're also having to pay them more when you have that kind of competition with these other types of firms that are trying to, to get those same people with the same pool. I'll, I'll um, echo Corey's comments. Those, those two spots in our organization are the two most hypercritical. I mean, I think, you know, half, half the night that I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about where the work comes from to keep us healthy. And then I roll over in the other half of the night, I worry about where are the, you know, great people going to come from to help go build this work. And he's right. Engineering and design uh, is constrained, but at the front line, you know, the, the, that frontline leader for us is where, um, where we're successful or where we're not. And I think, you know, whether you're union or whether you're non-union, we've done a good job at an industry of teaching the, the, the real critical uh, skills for building something. Uh, but, but to be a foreman or a general foreman or a superintendent or really anybody that's leading people, it's the EQ side and it's the, the, uh, the leadership development side that, that, that we've found to be really important. And it's often not baked into the education that that a person goes through as they as they go through the apprenticeship or how how they uh, grow in, in in the early years of their career and so we've we put an emphasis on that and and recognize that we've got to build our own frontline leaders that are capable of teaching and leading and and caring for others that come onto our job site and so we partnered with with leadership surge and Alex Willis, who's you know worked with others in the industry as well, to build a unique program, uh, uniquely designed for our frontline leaders, and it's to address this issue. Because as Corey mentioned, I, I don't think this will ever not be an issue. There are more people that have left the industry that have found it. It's a hard industry to find. Uh, we don't get to students early enough before a guidance counselor tells them they should go to a four-year college or a four-year university. And, and, and we need to teach them that the skilled trades are a very viable place to start a career and then continue to build into that career. And, and you don't need to come out of school with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt to, to have a great career. You can start uh, in the craft in the craft uh, and, and really end up progressing through to having that education uh, if you choose that path, but either way, uh, it's a career that is sustained for, you know, into perpetuity. And it's just hard for students to know that it's even available to them. Right. It's definitely a good point. We've been so aggressive we... into the training area and building craft institutes and, and culture around that as well, which, which, you know, just really echo the comments from Steve and Corey about internally working on the culture and, uh, and marketing around you know, what the expectations can be if, if these new people come and join the organization outside in the future can be it really pays big dividends. So it definitely sounds like that's going to be something that we all just 
live with and, and have to figure out new ideas like you are all saying uh, going forward. So you've all, you talked about this a little bit already. I think I know what you're probably gonna say as far as um, what, what were the, what do you uh, identify as the greatest short and long-term impact on your firm as a result of the pandemic? Um, you've all talked about the delays with material delivery and logistics. That was definitely called out by all of the respondents in the survey as their single biggest challenge to finishing jobs on time and within budget. And then they are also citing the material prices, which you also uh, noted, um, especially on wire and cable and then conduit raceway and wireway. So would you agree with all of that? Or do you see any other factors that are having a, a big impact on you other than the delays with the material delivery? We've seen huge challenges. In fact, very big disappointments in the sustainable, you know, <clears throat> energy upgrade market where okay. some of these, you know, the opportunity to save costs, which is everybody's looking for and you know, larger companies, you know, still have capital to deploy. And over the last several months, it's always a year-end budget item or whatever. We've had great opportunities to, you know, really initiate, you know, significant revenue opportunities only to, to not materialize because the materials don't go. And this is specifically in the LED space. But it's a little bit surprising, you know, with all of the diversity around the manufacturers, but it's it's real. And then when those projects get pushed out into a new fiscal period, like 2022 for them, it gives it, the customers an opportunity to, to re-procure, to rebid, to rethink about how the project is going to happen. So projects that we would be able to, to secure because of the relationship, you know, not only is the revenue delayed, but also the opportunity to even close the project could be affected because of that. I, I would say, you know, while some of those points you made, uh, Ellen, were, you know, sort of negative impacts on the business or challenging ones. You know, one of the positive things that we've found, um, you know, our, our youngest organization is 50 years old and our oldest is approaching 100. And we haven't always been the best at adopting technology, uh, certainly for collaboration and, and, and using technology to move the business forward. Yet, you know, our younger uh, population of, of employees want that. And uh, the pandemic, you know, out of forced us to progress light years past uh, where we would have been in just, you know, a short amount of time. And, you know, our, our business lived in Microsoft Teams for a short amount of time. And, and the thing that, that has changed is, you know, I won't get on a plane to go to a meeting internally today where we would spend two weeks trying to figure out what day we're going to do it. We just get into a Teams meeting and we have a conversation. Now, that's not to suggest that I think we should all be remote all the time, uh, but we are able to leverage technology when it makes good sense. Uh, and, and our business has adopted it in a way that I, I don't know that we would have adopted it this way had we not been, you know, sort of in that human nature spot forced to, to do so. Right. Fiscal Electric uh, was founded in 1913, and we like to brag about that. But when we talk about technology, sometimes I would say we're still in 1913. So, but the pandemic forced you to do it. And it wasn't just a portion. It wasn't just the office. It wasn't just, um, you know, the, the estimators or the BIM guys. It was accounting staff. It was the warehouse staff. It was the guys in the field that were putting the material requisitions. It was how we deliver our, our payroll and everything transformed itself. And for the most part, uh, positively and, and overall cost savings to the organization by 
by doing it. And, and I think we all had the technology, right? We all had the computer systems and the programs and Teams was on everybody's computer, but it wasn't really utilized as, as a must-have tool like it is today. I think definitely, um, you know, as far as like looking at the results from the survey, some of them, like uh, Steve said, can be, you know, construed as negative. And obviously some of them are negative, but I would say looking when you read the full article that's going to be coming out, it's overwhelmingly, I was really surprised and, and very happy to see that a lot of the results are positive. I would say more are positive than negative as far as, you know, how all these firms have been able to come through this year uh, doing this well. They're, like you say, they've changed things. They're reinventing things, deciding how to do things more effectively, smarter with technology, you know, all of these things, uh, some good things have come out of this horrible thing that has happened. So, um, at, and one of the things that stuck in my mind was when we asked, when do you think business will get back to back to normal or business as usual? And I think 48% said it already is back to normal. It already is. So that is a huge uh, deviation from last year when I think only 10% said it, they thought it could get back to normal this year. So I think that's a very good sign. So I do want to make sure, you know, we are focusing on the positive as well as some of these things, which do seem kind of negative. Normal is different now, right? Right. What is <laughs> well, normal? We, what we consider normal mm -hmm. is different. Exactly what Steve said is you don't jump on a plane as quickly mm -hmm. to, to go meet with someone anymore. Um, so it's, it's easier to get back to normal uh, when the normal is set to a different standard. Right. It's just, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and also, have you all changed? With contracting, it's a little different. Like a lot of the top 40 design firms, they were allowing a lot of their workforce to still work from home. But I don't think, you know, that's probably not as prevalent with uh, the contracting industry, correct? As far as are you letting, uh, you know, making permanent modifications to your uh, business model as far as, you know, from the pandemic? Yeah, we, we have, I mean, we, we have some, we have more flexibility today than we had in the past okay. for employees that need to you know, deal with a, a COVID protocol at home or a, a child that has COVID, uh, you know, mm -hmm. being able to work remote. For, but that culture that exists in the in the contracting world of, you know, in-person interactions is, is real. And, and there's there's no way for the field staff to work from home. You know, if they can't, if they can't do the installation on site, they, you know, they're not real productive at home for an extended period of time. So, you know, we've we've changed our thought process on what work from home means and and durations and added some flexibility. But we we haven't transitioned to permanent work from home um, right. situations anywhere. That makes sense. Yeah, that true for us as well. Um, you know, I I had a sort of an internal struggle with this um, for for something that Corey just mentioned. Our field was needed to be on the job site, and I didn't feel good about. Um, having people show up during an, an uncertain time and and not have be there alongside of them, wh wh wherever that meant. Uh, and so, you know, we remobilized to our office as soon as we could. Um, we've certainly been back well over a year. And and the, the thing that I was really struggling with was, you know, we, we do have a balance. So we've always had people working remotely. We don't have an office in every city we work in. Uh, and, and nor do we want to. Uh, so we've always had people working remotely. But what we found was when everybody was scattered to the farthest corners of the business, there was never any accidental interaction. You know, Teams was very purposeful. I needed to call you and if you're available, I could talk to you, but I didn't run into you in the hallway 
And, and some of the best things that have ever happened to this company happened when two people never planned on having a conversation and they passed themselves in the hallway and they were working on a problem and they solved it. Uh, and, and, you know, this business is built on people. And when, all, when, when our culture isn't um, connected and our people aren't connected and they don't feel like, like they're part of something, then we're just trucks and tools and buildings. And, and, and I just don't know that people identify with that. And that, so we, we worked hard to try to protect that culture where our people were back together safely. Um, and we've, been, we've found um, that we can definitely do it safe. Now we make, we make decisions just the same way Corey outlined where we're flexible and, and we're certainly very understanding of the needs that people have in a new world. Um, but we try to get people together as much as possible. That's such a great point. We've experienced that as well with, you know, with journalism and with ideas and just everything. It's every industry, you know, coming up with things when you're together and accidentally. So that's such a great point to make. Um, so the next thing, um, I it may be a little premature to talk about this because I don't think anyone knows exactly what's going to happen with this. Um, but do you have any thoughts on the new, uh, the announcement at least about the new federal uh vaccine mandate. Uh, specifically, it, it would just uh, address, the part I'm talking about is the part that addresses federal work. So any contractor that's going to be doing business with the federal government, in theory, is going to have to have their employees vaccinated. So do you have any thoughts on that or, you know, any comments on, you know, what percentage of your work is government work? Any, any way, maybe it doesn't apply to you as much. I, I think we all were scratching our heads and looking at each other after um, the announcements were being made because it was such broad strokes. We really can't tell what it really means and how it's going to mm -hmm. plan out. And I know Nika and IBW have been having discussions and roundtables and we're, we're trying to prepare ourselves. And there's, there's obviously a lot of challenges with the collective bargaining employees and, and mandating these things. And, and it's going to take some time to work through that, but in some aspects, it's not surprising in that we already have customers that require vaccination. And we've been dealing with this since the vaccine has become really available to everyone. A lot of our healthcare clients, most of our healthcare clients, I've seen more often than not, our healthcare clients require everyone to be vaccinated to come on site, including management staff and visitors and delivery truck drivers and all those type of people. Okay. Um, and I think that is probably from, from, a, from a contractor's perspective, at least from a, a collective bargaining contractor's perspective, having our customers put those mandates in place is easier uh -huh. than us trying to mandate it. Um, Definitely. We've, we've looked, you know, state by state, been evaluating this, the states we work in of, you know, what it means from, from a legal standpoint to make, make these requirements happen. But you know, we feel good about the percentage of our workforce that is vaccinated, that ha have um, taken the initiative. Um, the, the, per the percentage of the population that is not va vaccinated today is, is going to be a challenge for us, um, depending on how this uh, legislation works or if it becomes legislation or not, how yeah. that works. But I, I do think that the larger organizations have already started to adapt and, and put things in place to to make this just another transition i mean we've already overcome so many things in the last 18 months or two years uh with this i don't think that this is going to be harder than anything we've been through to date so what about um any other challenges in the last year that you know you wanted to bring up um not related to the pandemic that you see as 
you know, possibly being something that we'll need to address this year and into next year, um, probably maybe in addition to the material prices and the delays, because we've talked on that quite a bit already. I, I think we've talked about it a little bit, Ellen, but it, it's people and it's okay. taking care of people, uh, taking care of the people that are in the business today. And then also, you know, making it uh, an industry that's available to a lot more people. Uh, I think if you look at the demographics of our industry, for instance, that needs to change. And I think companies, uh, the three companies on this call, uh, all probably are working on it. I know what we're doing, and and I think it's I think it's important for companies like ours to take a proactive approach in every one of these communities, uh, to find um, schools, uh, to find the the disadvantaged communities in the cities, to help people find this industry because it is worthwhile. Uh, it's important, and and there are lots of people in all of our communities that would greatly benefit from being in this industry, but have no idea how to get into it. And, and so I think, you know, that's going to be something that our industry has to work together on, not as competitors, but as partners in an industry to help change. Because we don't look like, our industry does, is not representative of society. Uh, and, and, and I think that's important. If we're gonna change just even the, the sheer headcount required to do all of the construction that's needed, uh, we have to help other people find uh, find the industry. And I think it's going to be an important work that we all take on together. Yeah, Stephen, it's, it's not a union, non-union thing. You know, you know, it's time for us all to get together as contractors. It's not electrical contractors. It's, it's construction. It's it's drywall. It's, it's plumbers. It's HVAC. It's sprinklers. You know, kids don't find the trades until they've already washed out of two years of expensive college, you know, and, and that's, that's a disservice to, to young people coming out of, of high school. So it's, it's time for us to get serious about how we're going to market ourselves and how we're going to brand ourselves as, as construction trades and work together to, to infiltrate the schools and the, the recruiting process in a much more proactive way than we have. And, and, you know, I agree with Steve, we're, we're all doing things and we're recruiting from different different you know organizations and groups but there's so many underserved resources that that we could collectively uh, get to and 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 move the needle with and but it's it's really going to take um you know some coordination and some um you know i just don't feel like it's been serious enough of, of an issue uh for for the collective group to to really get behind this initiative one thing I would add to that point, and it's why that leadership development piece is so important, because as we work to bring people uh, to construction uh, and, and onto the job sites, the, the job sites have to be safe places. Our leaders have to be prepared for uh, understanding what microaggression and all of the things that are embedded within you know, diversity training, equity, and, and inclusion training. Our people have to make that part of what they do every day. And, and as we bring uh, more and more people, it's not just about recruiting, I think that's an important element, but also making sure our, our leaders uh, have the right uh, skill sets to help foster safe environments for people to work in because you know, not everybody gets to work the same way every day and, and, and the place they leave every day doesn't look the same. And, and I think our industry has to change their thought process around what that means. Uh, and, and that's really a lot about education. Yeah, that's definitely great points. I, we have a writer um, who does our 
uh, training writing. And he, he always, a point that stuck out to me was he said, we're looking at the wrong people, the age people, like we need to be getting them in seventh and eighth grade. Like once they're juniors in high school and they have the, you know, GoTech program or what have you, you know, we're really, we need to be looking at this differently. So I think you're all uh, emphasizing that. And that's going to be something definitely to watch going forward. Kind of wrapping up uh, a couple of questions at the end, I wanted to talk about the infrastructure plan or bill, as far as um, if anyone has any thoughts on how they think that will pan out. And that probably also ties into the other thing that I was wanting to see if you had anything, um, any predictions or words of wisdom on the next big things we all need to be watching this year and next year. So some of those might be tied to if and when that uh, bill actually would happen, things like electric vehicles and some of the things that are going to be in that plan are probably, um, you know, going to impact how business, um, you know, goes forward. I mean, for us, we're talking about EV <laughs> charge okay. employment. I mean, it's, it almost seems two to three new calls and new opportunities a week of organizations from hospitality to retail to, to commercial and <clears throat> REITs, you know, how to deploy that, you know, it's a tsunami that's coming. Right. And um, I think that's a new area for a lot of organizations, but it's going to be, a, you know, at least according to our footprint and our service emphasis and some diversity, that's going to be a, a key area. And I would think that infrastructure bill would have to address that to some extent. They're, they're not going to sell the EVs unless they have that infrastructure. So that's, exactly. uh, I think that's going to be huge. And it's going to be massive when, you know, they're talking about building this, this infrastructure. Okay, well, what's that going to look like as far as, you know, when they were thinking about putting gas stations on every corner? Well, how is it going to look like with these charging stations and how long is it going to take and how is this going to be prioritized? And, and there's just so many questions with that. And, you know, we as an industry, um, you know, it's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity of whoever does this well is going to, you know, stand out as far as that goes. So it's definitely a great point. Yeah, we're, we're watching that infrastructure bill very carefully. I mean, there's a lot, you know, EV is part of it, but there's there's water, there's mass transit, there's uh, electrical distribution, there's there's roads, bridges. There's so much um, good stuff that could come out of that. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're watching it closely to make sure that, you know, what's being earmarked are actual projects. I mean, that's what our concern is that the money actually gets allocated to things that are going to be built and they're going to be built timely so that, you know, the impacts of the bill get into the economy quickly. You know, our, our fear would be that, you know, the pork in, in the bills get to the point where there's not enough money actually being spent on construction. And that that's, that's kind of a concern. Now it's taken longer than we anticipated. We were hoping that the infrastructure bill would have passed uh, already, but uh, we do feel like, it will happen in some form this year. Right. Okay. Well, it looks like we're about out of time. I want to thank you all. You had, you've had such great insight and some, you know, really interesting things that, you know, a lot of people probably don't think about initially when it comes to, you know, how your companies have not only gotten through this, this period of time, but, you know, are thriving and looking to the future and not letting those kind of obstacles stop you. So um, I want to thank you so much to this group of executives for sharing their insight industry knowledge and experiences with us today. In closing, I'd also like to thank Associate Editor Ellie Coggins for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parsons signing off of ECNM On Air. 
Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our members only portal on our website for more podcasts and other content resources. Thanks and have a great day.